Welcome everyone to episode number one of a new series starting up on the Outrage Inc. We've got Polar Opposites. I'm Spencer Byers, host of the Outrage Spencer Talks, and now Polar Opposites. And joining me, making his debut on the Outrage Inc. for Polar Opposites is Cajun, Thiru Thani Castellum Cajun. Welcome on to, I'll say the network, but Welcome on to our new show, Polar Opposites. Just look at a little intro yourself, Cajun. We'd like to get to know you. The new guy. The new guy on the block. Uh, well, let me get this straight. Uh, I'm one of the old heads here. Um, well, we're I talking about mention- new to the program, not new to Earth, Cajun. We know you're old. <laughs> um, well, went to, went to the College of Sports Media with Spencer. Um, one of the realest guys I know. Um, as it, as, it, as it is, and um, yeah, been a basketball head growing up. Um, ironic, ironically, I'm working, I'm, I'm working with the J with the Jays at this point right now. But that's a story for another day. But hey, got into this, got into the world of sports, playing basketball, talking basketball, and yeah, I'm just um. Just trying to find my way into this industry, and I'm, I'm super excited to be a part of this. I'm excited to have you on. Now, we're going to start off, and the reason why we're calling this Polar Opposites, I think, is kind of a double entendre, if you will. Polar, because we're both Canadian, so we're both here in the Great White North. And then Opposites, because Cajun's a city folk. I is a country folk. Cajun is a minority, if you will. I believe you're of—actually, uh, you know what? You say what descent you are. As, I, as we all know, I'm a white kid. I'm from the country. I'm Tamil. Tamil, there you go. A Sri Lankan Tamil, but we don't like to be known from Sri Lanka because of the civil war that happened. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a big diaspora in the at least in Canada and uh, and across the world and across the world. So we out here. We out here, Cajun. So we're gonna start off with the biggest news that broke up the last week. Bradley Beal being traded from the Washington Wizards to the Phoenix Suns. There have been rumblings for the past couple weeks leading up to this that he was supposed to be getting traded. The Heat and from Miami, who were just in the NBA Finals, were, were the finals with, with Phoenix, and Phoenix ends up being able to make the deal. But with that deal, Cajun, they lose a lot of depth. They lose a couple draft picks, and it also means that they now have a ton of salary cap stuck into four players, and that being Kevin Durant, who they traded for midseason from Brooklyn, obviously Bradley Beal and DeAndre Ayton from the last iteration of the Suns, and now they have Bradley Beal. So what do you make of this trade for the Suns? Obviously they get the best player, but does that necessarily mean this trade's going to work out for Phoenix? First of all, here's a question. Did Phoenix even have depth in the first place making this trade? Because they didn't. Because Landry Shamit is a depth piece all of a sudden? Second round picks. Don't get me wrong. I love Chris Paul, but he's nearing the twilight of his career. Here's my problem with Phoenix. Yes, you get the best player in the deal. But because of his deal and his no trade clause, like you mentioned before, that's your entire salary cap around four players. And you could say this is sort of mirrors like the Brooklyn Nets situation where Brooklyn had Kyrie, James Harden, and KD, KD all on all on one team. We all know how that turned out. Um, but who's going to be the primary ball handler in that situation between 
Booker, Beal, and Duran. You could probably say, like, signs do point to, early signs do point to Booker because he did handle the ball, especially in that bubble when Phoenix went on that, won eighth straight in, in the bubble and nearly made the playoffs. But it's either that. Or you got to rely on, and I got to big up this guy. I got to big up this guy, the great Cameron Payne, to average 10 assists per game and to run the offense. So it's. There's going to be a ton of questions, and I don't think. And if if I'm Phoenix, this, this is not the only move you have to make. Well, what about for the Washington Wizards? Again, obviously, they lose a player like Beal, who's their only star left after, obviously, John Wall had left multiple years ago because obviously injuries and his cap hit was disgustingly big for what he was able to bring due to those ACL tears. But regardless of that, you know, now you have basically no stars. I do also want to mention that Kyle Kuzma did decline his player option. So they lose Kyle Kuzma. You know, they have another guy maybe on the out. We'll talk about that in a second. They lose Bradley Beal. You know, do you like this trade going the other way in favor of Washington finally admitting they need a rebuild? Well, it was about damn time they need they needed to rebuild it. And this should have happened. And you mentioned this before. This should have happened, and I agree with you. This should have happened when John Wall left, because um, that was basically the end of that. The end of the of that Wizards team. That Wizards core, right? We talk about like cores was, and stuff like that, right? I think that was really the end of that team. Because they had Wall, Beal. Otto Porter Jr. as as I like to call him, Will Chamberlain the third, Martian Gortat. I think they had Nene there for a bit too, but um, and also Toronto's worst enemy, Paul Pierce. But it was it was long overdue. It was long overdue, and because of the no trade clause, which I never understood why Washington even put that in the first place. Which really limited like the haul you could have, you could have gotten for somebody like Bradley Beal, but it's a good thing that they are rebuilding and like we're gonna mention after with one of their with one of their stars potentially on the outs right now right now um they can finally start from scratch and not have to be in what is probably the worst position in the NBA if you're in, if you're a franchise is in the middle. Yeah, no one wants to be that middling team cage, and no one wants to be that mediocre team. That's always kind of the talk is you always want to be either in the top three or four seats in the conference, or you want to be one of the bottom three or four seats, because any team in the middle, it always feels really, really hard, like you're in that mediocrity kind of, you know, station. But going on to the NBA champions, we because this is our first episode, you did want to talk about them, the Denver Nuggets. NBA champions for the first time in their history. Nikola Jokic gets snubbed for the MVP, something I was very upset about at the time. I still kind of am that that Jokic didn't win a third-rate MVP, but regardless, so Jokic wins the finals MVP. The Nuggets get their first NBA championship, and I guess I'll pin the question to you, Cage. Do you think this team can repeat and be, make it two in a row? It's entirely possible, and continuity is why. Denver has that one advantage that a, that a lot of teams don't have, and that's chemistry and that's continuity. It was evident during the regular during this season. It was evident during this postseason run when they had and when they had their starting five players, starting five consistently available and playing. You saw Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. finally healthy after 
suffering through injury March season, Mur- seasons, Murray being out for a couple of seasons because of that torn ACL, Michael Porter Jr., you know, the, the, the book's out on him with his, with his troubles regarding his back. He had a, he had a back surgery. He, he had surgery on his back last season, and he finally was healthy. And he was known as a scorer coming, uh, coming out of the draft, but he, re- he, really, he really stepped into his own, especially during the postseason. Not known as much of a passer had, like entering the draft, I think there was like a playoff game when he had where he had six assists, and I'm like, really, Michael Porter Jr. And then it's ha- and then, as I like to say, and I know you're gonna hate me for saying this, but Kitchener's finest and Jamal Murray. There's no such thing as Kitchener's finest. Let me just say that right now. There's no such there, thing there, as Kitchener's finest. But regardless, I I let Cajun have that one. There there is if your name is Jamal Murray. Um, he finally showed he he showed the NBA what's up. We saw this. We saw this some uh, during the bubble, in which Jamal Murray went head to head with Donovan Mitchell in the first round of the bubble when the Jazz and the Nuggets played. And then he showed flashes of it during the Clippers uh, during the second round against the Clippers and against the Lakers. And he basically popped off, whether it was during the Lakers series in which he dropped like I believe it was like 25 per first half or 30 first half points in game three, in L.A., and then working that two-man game with him and Nikola Jokic, first pair of teammates to have 30-point triple-doubles. I think the biggest unsung hero out of all this might have to be, um, as D-Wade calls him, Mr. Nine, Aaron Gordon. Um, He really took away the... He really took on defensive assignments throughout that entire playoff run, like whether you're guarding Anthony Edwards or in the second round when you were guarding, when he was guarding Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, sometimes went small and guarded AD. And then Jimmy Butler. Without a guy like that, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been possible for Denver to survive defensively. And obviously, you mentioned the real MVP, Nikola Jokic, who could be, you might argue, he might be one of the, he could be up there maybe in a couple of seasons for a top five spot amongst bigs all time. I think you could argue right now, Cage. I, th- I think he's that talented, you know, talk and, t- you know, guy who changed the game with how well big men can pass, about being the real facilitator of an offense. Obviously, we keep talking about big men like, you know, I'll say Victor Wambanyama, who will most likely go first overall tomorrow as of June 22nd, which is when the NBA draft is. Um, but, you know, he really sp- spearheaded this idea of a, a big man being the main facilitator, being the kind of de facto point guard, and going to a guy who thinks he revolutionized the game in Carl Anthony Towns, the oh, center slash power forward for the Minnesota Timberwolves, depending on where you want to play Rudy Gobert. He had the gall to say on a podcast that he believed when he believes when he retires, he will be seen as a guy who revolutionized the game of basketball. Now, Cajun, I think you you can tell by my my initiation into this t- topic, and I know how you feel that. Is Carl Anthony Towns out of his mind with this take? 
I need to have some. I need to have whatever he's smoking because he on he 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 be on that good ish right now. Holy cat! What's wrong with you? You ain't that guy, cat. You ain't that guy. He, he ain't. And if you're talking about revolution, changing the game, and I believe it was Patrick Beverly that called him the best offensive big in the game, which. Nikola Jokic has got something to say about that, Cajun. I think Nikola Jokic has something to say about that. Oh my, oh my God! And I thought Embiid crying about his MVP was wor- was worse than than Cat. He's making Embiid look tolerable, and that's saying something. That take that takes skill. That take that takes like intentional skill to make Embiid look like not a crybaby. I mean, during the play, I mean, during the few times he's been in the playoffs. The only time, uh, the only takeaway I can remember is him disappearing at crucial moments or committing just silly, dumb fouls, getting yourself into foul trouble. You're supposed to be the best player on that team. Mind you, this is before Anthony Edwards started blossoming earlier, like basically this season. Well, before you were supposed to be the best player on that team, 2018 was a prime example back when Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins were in Minnesota, and he disappeared for for half of that series against Memphis. We're in single single digits for I believe two of those two or three of those games. And you and you have the gall to say yeah you changed the game. Miss me miss me with that BS, man. And not only that, Kate, I think an important topic here in this conversation of changed the game is like how many players in the NBA actually have changed the game? Like Wilt Chamberlain changed the game. Like they created rules against him. He changed the game. You know, Michael Jordan changed the game, showed you that, you know, guards could lead a team. Guards could be the focal point of an offense because before him, it really was seen as a big dominated league and even was after him and now it's really gone into that guard heavy offense era but he really started that movement of guards can be the main scorers and facilitators and guys in the offense they're not just passengers they can be the the de facto leaders of the offense um but like how many guys genuinely can you say Cajun actually have changed the game of of, M- of the NBA I think Steph Curry is another one, another one I, I I think I failed to mention of guys who changed the way the game is played no one will ever play the game the same after Steph Curry and we've already seen it at youth levels of of kids shooting 40 footers for god knows what reason but regardless like is there any other names you think deserve to be mentioned with guys who actually changed the game of basketball you didn't mention Magic Johnson, didn't you? No, I didn't, and that's another good one. Another one of the guards who was, well, you know, I'll say the beginning of that bigger guard era too. He also, with Michael Jordan, kind of pushed that 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 idea of a guard can be the leader, and not only that, a guard can be six foot eight and be a slick passer. Because he started the Showtime, like the run and gun era started with Showtime, when you had Magic, Kareem, Michael Cooper. Yeah, James Worthy. They really started running and gu- running and gunning in the first place. Obviously, you, you gotta love those. You gotta love those that rivalry with the Lakers and the Celtics with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, who I think is severely underappreciated as well. 
when you if you got to mention like small forward like a debate on who who are the, who's the best small forwards in the game all time, Larry Bird definitely has to be up there. But there's not a lot. I agree with you. There's not a lot. There could be one potentially coming out of the draft. I think Jokic could change the game and how it's being played too. Wembenyama could be one of those one of those guys if his body holds up and the theory of him turns into reality. But there's not a lot. Yeah, honestly, I think that's a great point too. Of you know, can we say LeBron changed the game? Because I don't necessarily think he can. And and that's no disrespect to LeBron. I think he's the greatest player ever. He's the greatest player I've ever had the chance to watch or see. But did he actually change the way the game was played? I don't know. I just know he was the best player in the world at any given point for most, if not all, of his career. And not only that, he was a great scorer. He was a good rebounder. He's been getting better with his passing every single year since he was a rookie to where where now he's basically a point guard from where he used to be as a small forward. You know, he is so good Mm -hmm. at so many different things that I don't know if I can say he changed the game. Kind of like I'll say Kobe Bryant, for example, is a guy who was really, really good, arguably the best player but didn't change the game. Like, that's the problem with what Kat said. It's not like he's saying, oh, I'm a great player, I'm this, I'm that. Ch- saying you changed the game means you're literally one of maybe, what, four or five, maybe six guys ever in the game history of basketball to genuinely say you changed the way the game was played, you changed the way teams build teams, changed the way teams defend certain positions. And I think a name you forgot to mention with that Showtime Lakers, by the way, is Pat Riley who currently is the president, you know, and GM of, of the Miami Heat. He was the head coach of that Lakers team, the Showtime Lakers. So Pat Riley deserves a mention with the way the game has changed overall as a coach and as now an executive with Miami, right? And, you know, if you want to talk about executives who changed the game, I think Red Arbach obviously deserves a mention in there as maybe the first truly famous head coach slash general manager. But not a whole lot of guys there either, Cage, that you would say literally changed the way the game was played, the way the game was managed, the way the game was coached. There are not a whole lot of guys like that. And Cat surely is not one of them. Surely is oh, not one of them. I couldn't I can't believe I had, I actually agreed with Kendrick Kendrick Perkins out of all people. The who's 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 basically living life off of his near 2020 performance in game five of the 2008 Eastern Conference Finals back when he was with the Celtics against the Pistons. I never thought I'd agree with him on a take. But when Perkins called our cat by saying, we don't even know who you are. That's just, that's just accurate. Like, you want to, if you're a cat and you're you're saying you, you change the game, if you're, even relevant in the discussion of the best bigs in the NBA. Because you hear Jokic and, and Embiid, but you never really mentioned Cat in the, in, in the same category as those two. And he shouldn't be. And he shouldn't be. And, and, he, should, and he shouldn't be, precisely. Then you want some, then you want some crack, my friend. I'm like, and just, hey, man, in a world like this, give me some of that. Give me some of that. I'm like, let me have some, some of whatever you're is some of whatever you're having. Um, going back to the LeBron conversation, I don't think he changed the game, but he definitely changed the way. He definitely changed like how players go about their business, like player movement. Oh, definitely. I, I I think even more cage. I think he changed the way players prepare. Like I feel like of all the athletes in the in the NBA, even history, 
you know, other than maybe Michael Jordan with people knowing how much he practiced. But even Michael Jordan, in fairness to him, did like to party, did like to gamble, did like to golf, did like did other things other than basketball. And I'm not saying he didn't work hard at basketball because he did. He surely did. But he had other passions. He had other things, you know, other than LeBron's one really garbage movie, you know, which I also haven't seen, by the way, in, in the new Space Jam. That's not Please really new, don't. but relatively, you know, other than that one movie. LeBron doesn't do anything else. LeBron leaves, sleeps, breathes basketball. LeBron plays basketball 365 every single year since he was God knows how old. You know, I'd argue 14, maybe younger, maybe 12. But, you know, he put so much effort in the offseason to keep himself in shape, to keep himself working, to keep himself in the tip-top shape. So now he can play at 38 and 39 after 20 years. Because unlike a guy like Michael Jordan who played three years at North Carolina, you know, Michael or LeBron played came at a rate out of high school. He was 18 playing in the NBA. He's now playing at almost 40. Like he's played I almost think... 22 seasons of high level NBA basketball compared to Michael, who in all fairness did play three years in college, did, you know, take those couple of years off in between his two or three feet and then took more time off to then play at 40, almost 40 with the Washington Wizards, which obviously was not the same Michael Jordan as, as he was prior, which obviously makes sense. Father time is undefeated, but regardless you know, I think LeBron also has a really big uh, uh, ploy to play in the way that athletes prepare themselves now. Um, see, see, I agree, but I think more of an argument could could go to Kobe for that. And here's and here's why. And here's why. Kobe basically started off from the ground up. Like Kobe didn't really have. The same sort of national recognition coming out, coming out of high school that LeBron had, and his work ethic was second to none. And to the point where he was studying film, there was a book uh, he he released a book he released a book um, detailing like how he went about his business and how he guarded other people like that. Now we've uh, we've. The the textbook the book is out on LeBron's IQ and and how amazing it is, but I think like the the ruthless attention to detail like I remember I remember that coming more from Kobe than LeBron, but that's just me. Well, I I I agree with you, but I will say that I think that both of them I'll say really spearheaded that argument and Kobe in his way. And then LeBron kind of kept it coming. You know what I mean? Like even today, he'll still, you know, release those workout videos or, or whatever, right? The Taco Tuesday videos and what have you, right? Like I think that was them too as a collective. I guess I should have mentioned Kobe, which, you know, I should have obviously. But I do think them as a, as a pair were, are, are a big reason why, you know, athletes do take mm -hmm. themselves so seriously now. And maybe – we wish athletes were more like them now because I know – I don't remember who it was exactly, Cajun, but I, I want to say it, it was a former player on – I want to say it was ESPN, but regardless, was saying that these athletes, these guys do not – or I think it might have been Gilbert Arenas, to be honest with you, was talking about how these guys do not put in the same effort we do. They do not practice the way we did, so that's why they're breaking down so much. Like why Embiid can't stay healthy? Why Bradley Beal can't stay healthy? Why Kevin Durant can't stay healthy now? Like – and maybe there is something to that. Maybe these guys aren't pressing themselves like Kobe did, like LeBron does, to keep themselves healthy longer. 
unlike a lot of these young guys now who seem to be getting injured every year. Like we're going to mention it later, Zion Williamson, who literally can't stay healthy, Cajun. Like this young man, I think, has played 35% of the available games that are the eligible games he could have played. And he's played in 35% in, what, four years? Like it's just not enough. For a guy who they thought would change the game, just like the guys we've talked about previously, like that's a problem. A guy who cannot stay healthy, that is a knock against you as a player, that you will not play enough to make it work your while. Oh, oh, absolutely. I agree. Um, But I have this theory called, I have this title called Donkey of the Day, and I'd give it to Cat, but also the 2019 draft class, now that you mentioned Zion Williamson, because he for some reason can't seem seem to stay away from the headlines because that whole issue between, and that whole issue with, between um, Zion and his ex and it came out, and it came out that like she wants to release she wants to release tapes to the point where she's trying to like force the Pel- force the Pelicans' hands to trade force the Pelicans' hands to trade hands to trade him, all because she lost a bag. And then don't get me started with uh, Demetrius Morant. Like, come on, man, you're the leader of a Grizz- you you're the leader of the Grizzlies. You also are spearheading a young team. You're supposed to be a role model for people growing up. And you're out here flaunting out guns at a nightclub, doing some foolishness with your friends. And I remember, like, the whole situation involving the the laser on the Pacers bus in which one of his friends got banned banned from that stadium or from, like, watching NBA games for a year. And then flaunting a toy gun. It's it's not just like dare I say this the N- the N- NBA players have been more injury prone but they've also dare I say been more stupid more childish I think for sure Cage and now I do want to mention a little bit more of this 2019 draft class obviously Zion Williamson goes number one at a Duke Ja Morant or as you called him by his by his birth name by his on paper actual first name then you had okay, R.J. Both- Barrett at three. Get used to this. I will mention government names on a daily basis. Yeah, he likes government names. Don't ask me why he likes government names, because his name is Cajun Thiever Thaney Castle. No one can even spell his last name, let alone put it in a uh, in a uh, what a work email or a uh, uh, a school uh, name. But regardless, Cajun, before you okay, get caught in for mentioning that, now you're triggering me. Yeah, I'm upsetting Cajun a little bit, but I promise I am saying it right in Cajun, through Thinny Castellum. I had to learn it off the after I met him. I think it would have been first year, second semester is when I ended up meeting you at, yeah. at the College of Sports meeting, which again, we are both CSM alumni as well as Al and I. So we all were classmates. I don't think you actually were a classmate with Al for very long, sadly. So you didn't get a chance to meet the big Al that I know and I love second on the semester. outreach, which actually is back, by the way. We'll mention that at the end of the show, but... Regardless, to continue with this 2019 draft class, you had R.J. Barrett at three, the only the, the Canadian who has had his struggles in New York. DeAndre Hunter with getting drafted four, fourth to Atlanta. That's never really panned out. I love Darius Garland at five. You keep going. Culvert, Jared Culvert at six. Loved him coming out of college. Didn't really pan out. Cam Reddish at 10. Never really panned out. Tyler Hero at 13 was a great pick by Miami. I'd say he's been the best depth pick throughout this draft, but... You know, not a whole lot of guys you'd say, Cage, at this point. You know, this was a draft class that had a lot of upside, you thought, with guys like in the second round, like Bull Bull went in this draft. 
You know, Jaden Daniels went in this draft. who's had a, a decent uh, start to his NBA career. You know, this this draft class had a lot of guys who you thought maybe this guy could be a game changer. You know, even Kevin Porter Jr. at the end, very end of the first round. But haven't hit the heights people may have expected some of these guys. Now, in fairness, it's, in fairness to this draft class, it's, it's only been it's near it's nearing the end of the it's it's just been four seasons. There's been a ton of and like you mentioned, there's been a ton of talent in this draft. Yeah, but the problem is, so, Gage, the problem is with saying it's only been four years in the NBA. Four years is a long time. You know, we went from four years ago thinking Zion might take over the NBA to four years from now saying, like, you know, do the Pelicans trade him? Do they trade him away now? Because they were people thought he would hold out and say, I'm not playing for you guys because the Pelicans suck as an organization. And now it's gone to maybe the Pelicans don't want him because he's not available. Like, think about it. In four years, we went from him not wanting to play for New Orleans to New Orleans not wanting him. Like, we've gone from one one extreme to the other in four years. but the thing with Zion was, as talented as he is, and as freakish of an athlete as he is, the troubles, the potential injury troubles, just because of like how his build is and how and, and his weight, were always there, even at Duke, even at Duke. So that like, it that's more so the worst. That's so that's more so like New Orleans's worst fears potentially coming to fruition, coming to light. With the amount of injuries that Zion has dealt with, so but so that's not like as shocking of a turnaround as it is. The injury, the injury chat's always been there, or but it's the other, but it's the others, but it's, it, but it's the others like RJ Barrett struggling for much of his next career. He did have a good playoffs though. Garland's finally finding a home, finding a home, but even he had, he dealt with injuries, and now Morant's dealing with off. A, tr- a trouble during his Grizzlies career, but off the court, so it makes you it, it, it makes you wonder like injuries, injuries too. But character has to be looked at this too. Character needs to be way more paid attention to for prospects. And now, before we continue, you know, after this little uh, middle middle segment that I'm gonna, we're going to have fun with, and I'll explain to you why, we're going to talk about Porzingis allegedly going to Boston. That trade seemingly will be done by the time we're done this uh, pod, by the way. And then we'll talk about the NBA draft. Again, we'll be going on tomorrow. We'll talk about the Raptors. Again, we are in Toronto. Cajun's a big Raps guy. We'll talk about what they're going to do with, uh, at 13. Hey, hey, you know, hey, trade up, trade down, what they're going to do. You gotta mention the Celtics too, since you see a you're a big Boston fan. Yeah, and we talked about talking about Porzingis, because he might be coming to Boston, might be coming to the Garden. But regardless, we're not gonna do a segment that I immediately had to put a document when we started this up with, with I started up with this with this was Cajun a couple weeks ago. We're gonna call it the Scrabble board. And now you might ask, why are you guys talking about Scrabble? A game that, you know, only is played by prisoners. I know. The reason we're talking about Scrabble. <laughs> is because Cajun Thiru Thani Castellum is about 17 characters long, and no one can spell it right. I get close usually, but not always right every time. Because so his last name at, is so ridiculous, Cage. Yes, Cajun, what would you like? Without looking at the screen right now, can you spell it? Oh, God, no, probably not. To be honest with you, no, probably not. Probably not. Well, okay, that's half a lot. I bet you I could, but I don't want to flex, so I'm going to hold off for now. Hey, this is your opportunity to flex. Well, let me see, Cage. Let me see. So, Cajun, the, so T H, is it U R, the Rue, and then, th- eh. no, I already got it wrong. 
It's I. T H I. T H I. Theru. See, wait, no, isn't it T H? So T and then Ru would be R U I. R U I and then T H A A N. Theru Than. And then I think it's E with, a, with an I. And then Cass. So C A C A S. Cass and then Lamb, right? K-A-S-A. Oh, it's K, isn't it? K-A-S-A. K-A. So I believe, and if I spoke this right, Cajun, you can tell me. So I believe it is T-H-R-U-I-T-H-R-U-I. R-U-I. I didn't know Rui was in my last name. Yeah, you Rui over here. You're Thirui. Thirui Castle. T-H-I-R-U. T H I R U T H A N I K A S A L A M. The Ruth Annie Castle, ladies and gentlemen. Like, we're on Jeopardy. Like, this is a spell, like a sixth grade spelling bee, and I would have been definitely out and dench with goo. But regardless, we're going to do the Scrabble board where I come up with a couple of names and I've jumbled them up. And Cajun over here is going to tell me who the athlete is. And it'll be topical throughout the show. We'll talk about these athletes and then we'll mention them here. So Cajun can try to pronounce them. It's only last name, so it's not first and last, only last. And the first name, Cajun, I hope you have a pen or your computer open. So the first name jumbled up is, you ready? Yep. B-Y-W-A-M-A-E. Wembenyama. Wembenyama. It is Victor Wembenyama, the guy who's going to go first overall tomorrow, the June 22nd of the NBA draft. His odds are so bad, Cajun. If you bet $100, you'd win 10 cents on him to be the first overall pick. Hey, that's 10 extra cents for me. Yeah, I know, Cajun. The chronic gambler. You're going to also learn that Cajun is a degenerate gambler. So we will also get into that as the pod goes on. Only casually a compulsive gambler is Cajun theory with Andy Castle. But now on to the next thing, Cajun. I only have three, so you're you're one for one right now. Let's even go two for two from the free throw line, unlike the Raptors in their playoff game against the Heat this year. But regardless. Shout out to DeMar DeRozan for that. Yeah, shout out to DeMar DeRozan's little daughter. Happy for you. I'm very uh, yeah, I'm sorry that you got death threats from these crazy people from Toronto, but you know, I I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, we, we won't even talk about the ridiculousness of the of the Toronto of the Toronto folk, the city folk. But regardless, and day number two, Cage, day number two, Z G I S P O I N R. It is Chris Tops Porzingis, the maybe newest Celtic. We'll see if that trade does get released within the next couple of minutes. But if it doesn't, we'll talk about the speculation released by Shams on ESPN. The last name is two names. It is a there is a uh, a space and I'll I'll give you the space. I think it'll give it away almost immediately. But the name is R T N E T space R J. Trent Jr. It is Gary Trent Jr. who accepted his option yesterday. Well, I was in the TSN office and officially will be back with the Toronto Raptors and also is looking to extend himself. So obviously his problems were with Nick Nurse, which. Did make sense. I believe most of the reports were saying that he did not want to come back to the Raptors because of Nick Nurse. So you did go three for three today, Cajun. We're going to keep a running scoreboard. So you are three for three at the Scrabble board today. We'll see if you can stay perfect next week, which will be next Wednesday. Hey, you got to give me harder ones than this, man. Well, you know, I just thought we, we got ourselves ingratiated, Cage. I didn't want to throw out some curveballs on the first day. Damn, Cage. I, I hate that vindictive. 
I mean, you know? with Wimben Yama, the minute you mentioned BYW, I'm like, come on now. You know, I, like, I, I, I had to try to give you some, well, like some softer ones, but maybe names you wouldn't think about with all those letters. Hey, man, all I those do, letters. I do sparkle quizzes on the daily. You can't fool me. Yeah, I, I know. You're Corey Brook. Anyway, regardless. Like, like Corey's like third member on this network. By golly. Anyway, regardless. Now going on to Kristaps Porzingis. Kristaps, the power forward slash center for the Washington Wizards. We mentioned it off the top with the Beal trade. Might be on his way out of Washington. He's linked to the Boston Celtics, who will be sending Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon to the Clippers. And then sending Mark, who will be sending Marcus Morris and some draft compensation to the Washington Wizards. So it would be, would be a three-team trade. Cage, what do you make of this? Obviously, it's nearing being done. It's not officially done yet, so we'll see what the real terms are as they get released. But Kristaps uh, to Boston, what do you think of the big, big, big guy going to the uh, going to Mass? Well, it does uh, it does answer, at least in my opinion, the depth for their big men, because as much as as much as I know you love Robert Williams, I'm Lord. As much as he is instrumental to the Celtics, he is injury prone, and Al Horford is old. And as we saw in Game Seven against Miami, my guy looked like he was ninety years old in a wheelchair. That was he looked very labored at the end of that game. Couldn't guard, couldn't guard out on on the perimeter to save his life. And he couldn't have guarded Udonis Haslam in that Game Seven cage. My goodness. Oh man, I would have loved to see Udonis Haslam cook for Al Horford. That would have brought a smile to my face. And would have and would have pissed you off, but that's a story for another day. Oh, honestly, but, I would have been happy for him. I love you, Donis Haslam. I I love those types of stories of guys who are garbage who always sit on the bench for like extra five years, like uh, Nick Collison for the, th- the OKC Thunder. I love those types of stories. I love um, guys who are like bench warmers who play for like twenty years because they're loyal. I love that kind of stuff. Hey man, shout out to Nick Collison and happy retirement to Donis Haslam. But it does solve their big man depth. Uh, Porzingis is offensively gifted, um, and in the right situation, can be good defensively for these guys. He's not, he is not a bad rim protector, and I don't think and I think his defensive shortcomings, which were shown in New York, Dallas, and Washington, it wouldn't be as bad with Boston because they've more more or less so got a defensive structure in place, at least compared to the other three teams that he's on. My biggest question is. With Brogdon out of there, who's still going to be that playmaker? Now, if I'm Boston, I'm asking for CP3 too, and 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 getting and shipping someone else in the process as well, because CP3 would be perfect for that Celtic team. Yeah, Maybe. no, we, we we've talked about a lot. CP3 would be a good match uh, for the Celtics, but I do want to mention though the Clippers getting Malcolm Brogdon. Do you like that trade for the Clippers? And does that necessarily mean that maybe they're letting Russell Westbrook walk or, you know, what they're going to do with their team with their two injury prone stars? We've talked about injury prone. I don't think there's any two players more injury prone than uh, Kawhi Leonard and his uh, good buddy PG, Paul George. (laughs) Yeah, you and your goofy ringtone. He ruined my cooking show, my dad. We know what we're going to do this right now, Cajun. We're going to do story time. So Cajun and I were a part of the same group in, in college doing a television show. We had to produce, shoot, and edit a television show, 30-minute block with commercials. So it was only 24 minutes technically, but regardless. So I was the on-air talent, because of course I was, and Cajun was one of the with camera people, 
And he was doing the manual where he'd come over and do close-ups of what I was cooking, what I was chopping, stuff like that. And he did not put his phone on silent. So twice during my shoot, this guy over here, Cajun, Thierry Cashlam himself, had his phone go off. And it's not like his phone's just like a dang or like a, a, a normal, you know, notification sound. It is the Kawhi Leonard laugh. Hey, in fairness, it's it's on silent right now. Well, th- and you had to remind yourself before we went live to to re- to shut off your phone because again, as we joked since that moment about your stupid notification, that it happened twice. It happened the first time, and we're all like, "Oh, that was funny." And then it happened again. The next segment, it happened again. So, was, yeah, Cajun was, ruined my television show, moral of the story, and uh, Cajun, thank goodness, learned from those mistakes and knows how to silence his phone, which, you know, hey, it's an improvement. It's an improvement. We all know, we all know, know that's not the real reason why, though, but that's a story for another day. No, no, no. You you started the you started the uh, cascade down the mountain, and then some other classmates of ours finished killing the animal, but re- regardless— Regardless, now I do again want to mention Malcolm Brogdon going to the Clippers. What do you make of, of that for Los Angeles and for Russell Westbrook's future, especially? See, doesn't necessarily mean Westbrook's going to go because it adds another playmaker to what the Clippers sorely, sorely need. Because the Clippers have the same problem that the Celtics do. Mind you, the Clippers also have injury issues that a lot bigger injury issues a lot bigger injury issues that would probably never be solved but they're also they're also their biggest issue was also a lack of a playmaker they tried that with they tried that with reggie jackson that didn't work they also tried they also tried to take a flyer on john wall that didn't fly but they sort of found something with westbrook at the point guard position when the clippers traded for him for him when he switched when he you know, when he switched jerseys from the Lakers to the Clippers, then of course Paul George and Kawhi Leonard got hurt. I don't necessarily mean I don't necessarily think this means Westbrook's gone because Brogdon can easily play either the one or the two. So you got dual you got bigger playmakers playmakers at the at the point guard position that are sort of big guards big guards in that in that sense and. I like what they, or the lack of what they gave up. Marcus Morris, Marcus Morris Sr., as good as he was last season or two seasons ago, was expendable. They got a ton of wings on that. The Clippers have a ton of wings on that team, whether it's Kawhi, PG, Norman Powell. Um, I believe they, had, and they still have Amir Coffey, Robert Covington. Um, and I like the fact that this opens up more minutes for Covington as well. Potentially, but um, this is a great move for the uh, this is a great move for the Clippers because it addresses a need, and I guess that takes away the possibility of a possible reunion with Chris Paul as well. Yeah, you definitely think that that would mean, especially because again, the Wizards are involved in this trade, and these have been two teams I'd say have been linked with at least fanfare for Boston, and then the Clippers have actually been linked to Chris Paul, and now both of them are in a trade together with the Wizards, and neither seemingly are picking up Chris Paul. So again, I wonder where he will go if that means he stays with the Wizards, which I think would be a bad decision by Washington, but maybe they're waiting for that perfect offer to make the most 
capital out of Chris Paul. But I again do want to mention with, with the Clippers, and I think the Clippers with this trade are the exact opposite, like complete polar opposite, if you will, of the Phoenix Suns. They have their two stars, but they have so much depth. They have so many guys where you're like, that guy's talented, that guy's talented. They have eight or nine, 10, 11 NBA-style bodies compared to the Phoenix Suns who have maybe five right now. And that's if you include Cameron Payne as an NBA body, which I think is he is, but he's not Malcolm Brogdon. He's not Russell Westbrook. He's not even, I don't think they still have Trey Mann, but Trey Mann. So, you know, what do you Are think you of the way the Clippers fans? have been building this team? It's a credit to it's a credit to the amount of depth that they that they built up, and this started from before Kawhi and PG came onto that roster. Mind you, 2019, they they took the Warriors to six games when they had no business doing so. With I believe it was um, Gallinari. Um, at three, um, the great Patrick Beverly, Lou Will, um, happy retirement to Lou Williams as well. Three times six man of the year, um, was on a song, was featured on a song by, uh, Aubrey. If you don't know who Aubrey is, that's Drake. Um, that's Drake. Yeah, that's Drake. Um, Montrez Harrell, uh, and they had a young Shea Gilchrist Alexander before he got traded to OKC too. So they've been known for their depth even before that, and give credit to the front. Give credit to the front office. Um, they've really found a way to build around Kawhi and PG in spite of the injuries that they've had to face. Case in point: twenty twenty one with Kawhi out. I believe it was when he tore his ACL in Game Four of the second round against Utah. Their role players really stepped up. Marcus Morris Sr. really stepped up in that has stepped up in that series. And then Utah, for whatever reason, decided to leave Terrence Mann wide open in the corner and he made them pay. Guys like that. And then they got Norman Power for basically nothing from the Trailblazers. And they got Covington as well. So you gotta give the Clippers front office credit. They're they're making the right moves. To be a championship contender, but you can't control health. No, you can't, Cajun. And and now I want to end off the show with this. We're going to talk about the NBA draft and, and a topic that really hits me because I love college ball. We will talk about college ball. We'll probably even talk about the WNBA and the NCAA women's side as well. WNBA right now in full swing. NBA draft, once it's over, once free agency kind of starts up, it'll be kind of the dog days of the summer for most other sports. So we'll probably, we'll talk about the WNBA because I know Cajun pays attention. I know, I know you love all ball, all ball. I love all of basketball. So you and I will have educated conversations of all of that stuff, especially college ball. Cause again, I love college ball. I love the system of it. I love, I love everything about it just about. And this hits just topic for me specifically is the the G League Ignite team. If you didn't know, in basketball right now, there are a couple ways to go pro. You have to have played at least one post-secondary year. So you cannot declare till you're 19. You have to play one year past your high school eligibility. So you have to be basically a super senior to be able to be eligible. So you can either play in the NCAA, play in college. 
You can play for the G League Ignite team, which means you play in the G League just below the NBA, but you're on a team full of other guys trying to make the NBA and make financial and get paid to play for the G League, G League Ignite team. Or you can go professional in like Australia or other leagues like that to be able to get your way over, like Victor Wembanyama playing at home in France can get drafted to the NBA, like Luka Doncic playing in the Euro League, playing Lamello for Real Madrid. And LaMelo Ball and R.J. Hampton, both in the same draft class playing in, in Australia. So, you know, there's a couple of ways to go. But for me specifically, I really don't like the G League Ignite team. And I really don't like the, the reason why, well, the reason why it exists is now no longer needed. It was created because basketball players specifically, but NCAA athletes could not make money off of their likeness. They were basically owned by the college. So they could not make money on things like YouTube or TikTok or anything like that or have sponsorships. So the Ignite team was to attract athletes so they could A, get good preparation for the NBA and be paid financially with that in mind. But now the NCAA allows NIL deals, meaning they are now allowed to be played for their image and likeness, allowed to have sponsorships and make money for being an athlete. So now I don't think the Ignite is really needed anymore, Cage. And I, I do want your opinion on this, but I, I will end with this, is not only that, the Ignite team doesn't really have any great players. Like, you know, Jalen Green could be a great player, might be. You know, Scoot Henderson is going to go second overall out of the out of the G League Ignite program could be a great player. Uh, I think it is it Jordan Kaminga out of um, Golden State? Jonathan Kaminga. Jonathan Kaminga out of the G League Ignite team, went seventh overall. He could be a great player, but they don't have that Wembenyama, you know? They don't have that LeBron James, you know, that Greg Oden, that Kevin Durant for Texas and, and o o OSU, Ohio State University, respectively. They don't have that type of pull, in my opinion. So guys come out of the G League Ignite teams, and you you tell me how good they are, but I'm like, I I'd never seen most of these guys play. I don't know a whole lot about them, and they've ne and they've only been a program for about three years now. They haven't really produced talent comparative to the NCAA or even you know the Euro League in respective to guys like Luka Doncic. I just I don't really respect the G League program. So for me, guys like Scoot. Henderson and other guys like that would fall for me because I just I don't really respect that program comparatively speaking to the NCAA to players playing in Europe or playing in Australia. I just I don't really like it. I don't I don't like the way they've constructed. But Cage, what do you think? What do you think of my uh, my rant, if you will? There's a lot of points that you make, but there's one thing that you mentioned that I still think the Ignite should be given a chance. Um, you said. They've been there. This this would be, I believe, the, like next season would be their third season as like the G League and not Ignite comparatively to the NCAA or like EuroLeague or overseas, like uh, players that played overseas. But that's exactly the point. It's new. It's novel. It's novel. It's new still to that degree. Now, if you said this, that this was like, maybe 5, 10, 15 years in, then yeah, there, there might be more important, but it's too early to tell. Because this is, this is a new, this is like a, this is a new model that's been introduced. And sure, the NCAA eventually like obliged with NIL deals, there's still, but there's still restrictions to that. 
Um, and there's more of an NBA, there's, argue, there's, there's more of an NBA environment, like in terms of like the pace and style of those games, pace and style of those games and how you develop. Dyson Daniels developed into a defender with the, I'm, I'm not sure if that's the name you mentioned, but with the, the eighth overall pick by the Pelicans, he really developed his defense by way of the Ignite. So there's been some good stories from there. I, th- I just think it's too early. Like now, if this conversation, if this is the same case five or ten years from now, then yeah, the respect the respect level isn't there. But I think time just has to be. I, I just think this is a situation where time, like only time will tell. No, no, definitely, especially because again, guys like Jalen Green, guys like Scoot Henderson will, you know develop and will show their worth as the guys who are like I'll say the pillars of this G League Ignite team but I just I don't know how to really explain it but I just don't like it like I I just don't like this idea of these kids going to play for the Ignite team and and even more so like how many stories cage have we heard about guys in high school being top five ten recruits in the nation five-star athletes and then they flame out in college, you know, and then the degree really matters. Them having to go to college and getting that full ride, full ride scholarship at whatever university they, they chose to play basketball, you know, it comes into effect. And, yeah, I know for basketball it's a little bit different than football and uh, hockey and other sports where you normally know what you got, you know, really early in basketball, comparatively speaking, to football. But still, like – I don't like kids going to this Ignite team and basically pigeonholing themselves to have to play basketball in the NBA because say it doesn't work playing for the, the G League Ignite team. And yeah, you've made a couple hundred thousand dollars playing basketball, but that can only take you so far. Like that's not a whole lot of money now in the grand scheme of things in the way today's economy, but today's world's going. So I just mm-hmm. don't really like it. Like I, you know, other than just saying I don't like it, I just it doesn't really fit me. Like, I just, I don't really like this idea of having these kids kind of, I'll say forced, but not forced because they choose to go to the Nike team. But I'd prefer to see them go to either go to the EuroLeague, go play in Europe, or, you know, play for Alabama, play for Duke, play for Kentucky, play for Virginia, play for, you know, I'll say Texas, play for a team with a great coaching staff that will A, get you prepared for the NBA, but B, so Say basketball doesn't work, you get hurt, something happens, you know, life happens really fast, and you need you're now you now you need your degree, you need something else, you have that opportunity. It's not something that has been taken from you that you don't really have the chance to do now, which obviously those guys can go back and get their diploma if they really want to, but I just think that the opportunity is a lot nicer to have younger than it was is after you know maybe failing or not succeeding at the next level, whatever that may be, if that's NBA or if that's over in the Euro League or what have you. And you know what that is that is that is a fair point. I just think in comparison to how it was in maybe even like ten years ago, there's a lot more options for athletes now for future student athletes now and um for better or for worse. For better or for worse. So, um, I like me personally. Me, me personally, I like the fact that athletes now have the option to control their narratives. Um, like I said, it could be for better or for or for worse. 
But for a while, it was the other way around. And the thing about a new idea is, like, like athletes can take control of their narratives too much to the point where it's detrimental. So there's got to be like a happy there's there's got to be a happy medium, and that still hasn't been figured out yet. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see. This is an interesting time to see future basketball players, student athletes, or even basically student athletes in general entering like the next phase of their lives, whether it's through college, whether it's overseas, or in the case of basketball and the night program. So there's a lot of options for these for these kids, but they got they also got to be they also got to be smart, but also stand by stand by the decisions as well. Yeah, definitely, and, and that will perfectly segue us cage into our last topic. Gary Trent Jr. again opts in for the Raptors. We did mention it off the top, so he officially is back with the Raptors. Is looking to get a longer extension with the team as well, which will help the Raptors again because Gary Trent Jr. is what, like 24? Real young guy for that Raptors team. And they draft their 13th overall in the NBA draft coming up tomorrow, but uh, June 22nd, if you're listening to this a little bit later. So, Cage, as a, as a uh, as a Raptors fan, who do you want or think the Raptors are going to de- uh, do at 13? Do they trade up, trade down, stick, and pick? And if they stick and pick, who do you got? Well, if they stick and pick, personally, they need a shooter. That's the that that was that was the biggest red flag from that team from that Raptors team from last from this past this previous season. Whether it was shooting the three for crying out loud, shooting free throws for crying out loud, um, shooting was the big issue. And a guy like Jordan Hawkins from UConn. As someone I can, is someone I'd really like. I really like because he can also not only can he shoot off the dribble or off the like on the catch, but he can also make moves with the ball too. And I think there's a lot more to his game to his game that wasn't really showcased as much at at, at UConn. Another option, well, if you're really gonna go into the playmaking route, could be Jason Wallace from Kentucky. Um, but it's though it's it's between those it's honestly between those two for me, um, and if you really want to trade up, maybe go two or three. Like you gotta find a you gotta find a package that involves either Siakam or Ananobi to ship off either to Charlotte or Portland to either get Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson. Personally, they need a good they need they if Fred VanVleet leaves they need a guard. I'd prefer Scoot Henderson. And that would mean you have to get to two, you'd think, because right now, I think that's the best part about this draft cage is right now, after you get past Wembenyama at at number one, which, again, his odds to go number one are ridiculously high. He's almost guaranteed. Well, I go as far as say he's guaranteed to go number one to the San Antonio Spurs. But at two, the Charlotte Hornets, they've interviewed and, you know, held workouts with Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller. They twice both, so we really don't know where the Hornets are going to go, which that means we don't know where the Blazers are going to go because they will pick basically the scraps of Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson most likely. And then you get to four, and it's you got a lot of guys who, in my opinion, are relatively similar. So this draft is really intriguing, especially after Wembenyama. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, if Charlotte keeps that pick, I. 
it would only make sense given that they have Lamella Ball to go with Brandon Miller just because of the fit, just because of, just just because of the fit and that uh, and like how how much of a natural fit he'd be with that team. Because it's good. Because it's good. There there'd be a lot of like, okay, moves have to be made because there's still Rozier on that team who I'm guessing will most likely be moved if that happens. But um, my I'm more intrigued to see what Portland's gonna do. Are they gonna keep that pick? Do you think they're gonna keep keep that pick at all? Because it's looking like it's increasingly looking like they might keep that pick at like after all. Yeah, we've heard reports since they got the third overall pick that they're going to move it and try to build around Damian Lillard. And I, and I think you and I both can agree, we think they should go the other way and trade Lillard away and build around, most likely, as you mentioned, with Miller going second, Scoot Henderson going third. Because right now, Cage, if Scoot Henderson is the third overall pick, that means you've got Lillard, Henderson, and Anthony Simons. And how in the world are you going to fit those three guys on the floor? I don't know. Like, that's a really small front three if you're going to try to play all three of them. So that means you'd have to the, assume one's got to go, at least one. And two of those, th- and two of those three, three guards don't play defense. Uh, like, uh, like, on top of that. So you got two one-way guards, like, at least offensively, and then Scoot. Either, and then you got Shaden Sharp. You got, you got a ton of question marks on that Portland team. And it's just like, is the deal that you're going to get back for Scoot going to move Portland to the content to a con- to the level of a contender. Me personally, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, start off from scratch. You get like Lillard deserves to go on a contender and get a ring. And it and it and the way it's looking like in Portland, I doubt it'll be there. Now, Cage, do you feel like okay as a fan for you as again as a Raptors fan, do you want the Raptors to trade up and trade a guy like Siakam or Ananobi and maybe not even get up to two or three, get up to you know maybe seven with the Pacers or something and take one of the Thompson twins? Like, what's your opinion on should the Raptors trade up or do you feel like they should stick and pick and be happy with who they get at thirteen? Because I know you, there's some guys who in the past have gone like have been great players getting drafted at 13. Kobe, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, three front prime examples you mentioned, Tyler Hero. Um, here you got to start off from scratch with the Raptors. There's a ceiling with this with this core, and now new like with the with the news from Michael Grange that came out of like. Toronto doesn't feel like they're inferior to Miami. Well, Miami has a Miami arguably has a superstar. I you might disagree with this, but in Jimmy in Jimmy Butler, Raptors don't have that. Well, he's the best player out of those two teams, obviously. I think by far, and I, I I'd be honest. I think if you look at that Heat team, you could argue there's three players better than Pascal Siakam. I think there's three. Butler hit out of bio, and then who's third? I would say he, I think you could argue Hero. Hero obviously got hurt in the playoff run, which definitely does not help his stock. But I think you can argue Hero's a better player than, than Pascal Siakam, a more impactful player than Pascal Siakam. That's not trying to be offensive to Pascal, who I think is horribly underrated by the vast majority of media other than in this country, in, in the country of Canada. But, you know, and I think when he does go to an American team, people will really start giving him his flowers, you know, unlike him mm-hmm. play, being in Toronto. But again... I, I think you're right. And now they're losing Fred Van Vliet, who opted out. They pro- they won't be able to afford him, you'd think. So they, they're going to let him walk for free. 
You know, this really is the new dawn of an era for the Toronto Raptors, and I don't know how they're going to react because this team has not been truly bad since they drafted DeMar DeRozan, which was over a oh, decade they, ago. They've been bad. When well, Chris, because DeRozan got drafted in 09, that was when Bosch was on the team, and then Bosch left in 10, and they were like booty cheeks for basically three seasons. No, but I'm saying that era, though. Since, like, it's been basically a decade because they got, you know, Jamar, they got Lowry, and they started re- getting really, really good. They started and, getting and, better. And mind you, they were supposed to rebuild during that 2013-14 season, but they accidentally started winning games. <laughs> Don't you love when you accidentally start winning? That, that must and, be a great feeling. I guess I guess it, that might – I guess it's coming back to that. I, I guess now that I'm mentioning it, it might be coming back – what happened 10 years ago, like, when they traded Rudy Gay for, like, for a bunch of role players at the time, and it, and Lowry was going to get traded, and Lowry was about to get traded, too, for, I believe it was Iman Shumpert, but James Dolan was so scared at being fleeced, like, he was fleeced by Messiah again, like he did in that Andrea Bargnani trade, Il Mago. Um, but, um, hey, had it not been for that, this entire trajectory about the Raptors, would we even be talking about them winning a championship in the first place? Who knows? But oh um, I I gotta agree with you. Even though like I'm a diehard Raptors fan, I gotta agree with you. Like probably not. But um, basically they they stumbled into winning and started the most successful era in Raptors history. And it's hard to let go. And it's hard to let go, especially since a team that was in the play in like Miami made it all the way to the final. So I can see that argument, but Miami had stretches where in which you could tell they had, when they figure it out, they'll figure it out. The Raptors never had that. They got to they, they start from scratch and figure out what their identity is. But in fairness to Miami, they've been to an NBA championship you know, recently, like they were in during the bubble, they played the, you know, Los Angeles Lakers in that NBA championship. They ended up losing it like they did to Denver, but they've made two NBA finals in the last couple of seasons, four or five seasons. So, you know, they have a team that knows how to win. And I'm not saying the Raptors don't, they they do have a lot of guys from that team, that championship team, but in fairness to them, they don't have the same level like Butler, like Adebayo, like Hero, you know, even like Duncan Robinson, who was there the first time. They have a lot of that same team, you know, from that last run. And I think the Raptors kind of lost that oomph when, like, because before the Raptors were known for their player development. Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Norman Powell, OG. Guys that came up, came up from the G League and really grow, grew into their own. They lost that oomph factor. And they need to get that back. And they need to get that back. Um, and with the core that it is, that they are right now, there's a ceiling. And like I mentioned before, the worst place to be in it, as an NBA franchise is in, is in the middle. Is mediocrity. And mediocrity, and either you got to make a move to get to title contention, which I don't see the Raptors may, making, or rebuilding and starting from scratch. And it's time to do to do what. I think is the inevitable. Now, while their value is still at its highest, especially for a guy like Pascal Siakam and Cajun, I think we'll end the show with this. We talked about the NBA draft. We talked about the Raptors now, and I want to I end with you. Do you think 
that the Raptors trade one of, if not both of, Siakam and or OG Ananobi before the season starts, before October, do you see one of your quote-unquote stars being no longer a part of the Toronto Raptors? Do I think they should? Yes. Do I think they will? It's incredible. It would have happened by now. It would like it could happen on draft night though. It could be a draft day trade. It could be a draft day trade, but there's been rumblings coming around that the Raptors are a frustrating franchise to trade with. So, and it seems like Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster, and the front office are asking for a lot for their players. So, it's not for lack of trying. And I think they're they're married to this like roster, and they don't want to let and. And it sound, it's sounding like they don't want to let go, but. Well, do you, okay, do you think that the, means that if you think that Masai will not trade this core, do you think it will cost him his job that he doesn't trade this core? Do you think it should? Do you think it will? It should, but it won't. Really, you think so? Because I think it will. I think I think this team will be the demise of him because I think he's kind of stuck his heels in the dirt and does not want to trade guys like Pascal. Does not want to trade guys like OG. And the problem with that, again, as we've talked about, this core is not good enough to win in the playoffs especially. They've shown that. And it's getting worse with losing their, I'll say, de facto leader, Fred Van Vliet. And drafting between 15 and 12 every year is not a sustainable way. Yeah, there's players we talked about. Mitchell, Booker, Kobe obviously went 13. I had mentioned Hero earlier. It's not a realistic expectation to build a team with middle lottery picks. It's not a realistic expectation. So they have to draft top five, top 10. And to do that, you have to suck. And you can't suck with guys like Pascal who want to win, guys like OG who want to win. You know, guys like Jakob Pertl, who they bought at the deadline, who want to win. So they kind of feel like that like definition of a team stuck in the middle, stuck in that mediocrity where you don't want to be. They have really good players, but not enough of them. They don't have a star. I think there's an underrated move that they made in bringing back Jama as part of the assistant coaching staff because their player development was really at its highest when Jama was on that team. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but. That's when you saw a guy, you got you saw Fred VanVleet, Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam. They really thrived. They they really thrived and actually contributed and contributed and grew into the players that they are right now. That player de- de- development has to be back regardless, because you can draft top five picks, top ten picks, whatever whatever you want. But if that player development, if, but if that player development is not on point, then it's all, all going to be for naught. Yeah, we're going to need to see if they can develop guys like Scotty Barnes and whoever they draft at 13. But I think that will do it here for us on our first episode of Polar Opposites. Next Wednesday, I think we're going to talk about the NBA draft. We'll break down our favorite, least favorite draft picks. We'll look at, you know, my my Boston, well, my Boston Celtics, my favorite team, the Boston Celtics, Caden's favorite team in the Toronto Raptors, what they look like post-draft, if there's trades either team makes, what how Porzingis will look in, in the great color of green. You know, we'll have way more information on the NBA draft and that that trade coming through green the grapevine. Green can also be the color of vomit, too, I think. 
Maybe. Well, maybe your vomit, Cajun. But, you know, my vomit's always red, so I don't know what you're talking about. But regardless, Bruh. you know, we'll, we'll talk about the – we'll break down the NBA draft. We'll break down if the Celtics do end up making the move for Porzingis. If that means Chris Paul is staying in Washington, that report will probably come out. But next Wednesday will we'll be the next episode of Polar Opposites, so stay tuned for that. For Cajun Theroux, Danny Castle, I'm Spencer Byers. Thank you again for joining us, Cajun, on the first episode of Polar Opposites here on The Outrage, Inc. Yeah.